0: Please be seated. Well, we pick back up this morning uh, with the I Am statements of Jesus. As you know, if you've been around, they're found in John's Gospel. And also, as you know, these statements are very much answering the big question, who is Jesus? And so today we come to the fifth of the I Am statements where Jesus refers to himself as the resurrection and the life. And that's found in John uh, chapter 11, and which you will find if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you on page 897. John 11, and we'll be looking specifically where Jesus makes this uh, declaration in verses 25 and 26. Uh, But let's take a moment to pray, and then we will hear God's Word. Lord God Almighty, You who are the resurrection and the life. We pray this morning that afresh you would breathe life into our souls. That you would open not only the eyes of our hearts, but the ears of our hearts to hear your call to us. To live and to rest with and in you. And so we pray, once again, that you would now open your word to us, that you would open us to your word, that we would be changed in the face of Jesus, whom we seek to see this morning. In his name we pray, amen. And so John 11, uh, verses uh, 25 and 26, hear the word of God. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And this is the life-giving word of God. Well, you may remember when we were looking at the first of these I Am statements, one of the things that we pointed out is that the first half of John's gospel is built around seven signs or miracles, all of them pointing to Jesus as, as the Son of God, as Savior of the world, and that likewise there are seven I Am statements, some of which correspond to one of those signs, as is the case uh, this morning. Uh, In John 11, Jesus' sign of raising Lazarus from the dead being preceded by Jesus' statement about being the resurrection and the life. And so this spectacular miracle, which is is recorded only by John, uh, it anticipates Jesus' own resurrection and at the same time reveals to us that he truly is the resurrection and the life. And so that means for us to understand this I Am statement, we've got to look at it within its larger context. And so that means that today we're going to revisit a familiar story for many of us, one that highlights both Jesus' humanity and his divinity. And this is a story that that I have loved, and I'm sure many of you have as well, uh, for many years. But some of the the connections that I'll I'll make this morning, uh, I had not quite made in the same way before. Uh, until recently reading uh, a couple of essays by Wayne Grudem and Tim Keller at about the same time, Uh, and just opened my eyes afresh to it. And so we're going to read part of the larger uh, context here in John 11, uh, but let me uh, prepare uh, for this reading by just setting the scene, and then I'll uh, pick up again later in in the chapter. So if you're familiar with the story, you know that there is a man named Lazarus, that he is sick, and in fact he is so sick, that he is dying. Lazarus uh, is the brother of Mary and Martha, and the three of them are very good friends, very dear friends of Jesus. And so Mary and Martha, of course, they send word to Jesus. He's only a couple of miles away, and they send word to him to come, because Lazarus is sick and dying. But Jesus does not arrive in Bethany uh, for a couple more days, and before he gets there, Lazarus dies. And so when Jesus finally arrives, he finds the the friends and the family uh, in mourning. Lazarus' body has been sealed in a tomb. And of course, what happens next is one of the most famous events in all of history. And if you know the story, you remember that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But first, This is what happens. So beginning in verse 17 of chapter 11. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in a spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And we'll end there for now. And so, again, a familiar story. And something interesting to note as we dive a little deeper here is that both Martha and Mary come to Jesus and say the very same thing to him. The same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Two sisters, same circumstance, same words to Jesus. And yet note that Jesus responds to each sister quite differently. I mean, it's really a stark contrast. So with Martha, Jesus is more emphatic, confronting her unbelieving heart with the reality of his power. With Mary, Jesus is more empathic, comforting her grieving heart with the reality of his presence. With Martha, uh, Jesus points her away from despair to true hope in him, saying profoundly and powerfully, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. With me, it is never too late. With Mary... Jesus simply enters into her pain and sorrows with tears, virtually saying nothing. And so, why this stark contrast? Well, here we see dramatically what we often hear propositionally throughout the rest of the New Testament Jesus is truly God, and he is also fully man. The incarnation, God becoming man. God coming to us, for us. In his encounter with Martha, we get a glimpse of Jesus' profound power. The strong, the mighty. He is God. The God Almighty over all things. In his encounter with Mary, we see Jesus' personal presence. The humble and broken hearted. He's human. He knows very personally our human experience. So let's consider the encounter with Martha uh, for a moment, and, and then we'll take a look at Mary. So Martha, when Jesus encounters Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, like most Jews of her day, Martha believed in a general resurrection, that God would not abandon his people at the end of time, but rather he would raise them up on the last day to share in his kingdom, a new kingdom, a kingdom that was to come. And Jesus looks at her and proclaims, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, the last day has come. I am God, and I am establishing my kingdom. Believe in me, and you are a part of my kingdom. And today, you will see proof of this reality. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. Now, in science, the the study of physical, natural life, you know what it is. It's, It's biology. I had to take biology 101. That's about as far as I got in college. But biology, related to the Greek word bios, meaning physical, natural life. Well, Jesus does not use the word bios here. He uses a much more profound word, the word zoe. Whenever I come across that word, or at least often, I'm reminded of a time, it was now nearly nine years ago, standing up here on this platform and baptizing little Zoe Mays, a daughter of Eric and Patricia. And I remember holding her in my arms and telling her about her name. Did so do you know, know what it means, Zoe? It's a Greek word which refers to abundant life, to life in the full. The most complete sense beyond what we could ever imagine or dream. And Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection in the Zoe. I am ultimate life. I am life to the fullest. I am am life in the most complete sense. And so Jesus is saying, I am going to take on the sin of the world. I am going to absorb the wrath that sin demands. I am going to die in your place. Yes, I am going to conquer death because I am Zoe. I am greater than death. And if you believe in me and trust me with your life, then you will know the greater reality of Zoe. And today you will see proof of this reality. Friends, God's kingdom has come, and it is coming in fullness. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he asks, do you truly believe this? Are you trusting in him? Because if you are, there's more. Yes, there's more. And so let's now briefly consider uh, Jesus' encounter with Mary. Now, notice that with Mary, Jesus says virtually nothing, but instead, he breaks down sobbing. You see, here it's not so much about his words, but more so about his heart. Jesus feels the weight of Mary's pain and suffering, uh, the weight of death, and it hurts. Jesus enters into Mary's sorrow with full sincerity and integrity by simply and yet profoundly weeping with her. Uh, Keller writes, Here we see deity joined to human vulnerability. His love pulls him down into weeping. Despite the fact that he is God, he responds to Mary in this way precisely Because he is fully human as well. He is one with us. He feels the horrific power of death and the grief of love lost. Jesus is the truth itself come to tears. And it is this paradox, that he is both God and human, that gives Jesus an overwhelming beauty. And then at this point... John invites us further, even deeper into the story, to see the absolute ferociousness of this overwhelming beauty of Jesus. And so, picking up with verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, "'Take away the stone.'" Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I mean, think about that. That is an amazing scene. In fact, one that would be quite startling for everybody who was there. Jesus calls Lazarus by name out of the grave, and the dead man comes out on his own accord. The word of God speaks, and the dead receives life. But there's something so easy to miss here, to just, to just read over. Something stunning happens right before that. Because first... Jesus gets mad. Did you realize that? Not only does Jesus weep in this passage, but he also gets ticked off. It shows up in verse 33, but we see it again here in verse 38. It says that Jesus was deeply moved. He was deeply moved when going to the tomb. And the problem is our English phrase, deeply moved. Because it doesn't come close to to capturing the actual Greek word. In the original language, it's a word that literally means to bellow with anger. Jesus is absolutely furious. He is bellowing with rage. He is roaring like a ferocious lion. In the words of John Calvin, Jesus approaches the tomb as a dangerous champion prepared for battle. In other words, Jesus is ready to take off the head of Goliath. He is raging against death. He is bellowing with anger at the loss of life and the loss of loved ones. And yet even in that explanation, it's still hard to to really grasp. To picture all that's going on in this scene. Jesus weeping and then Jesus bellowing with anger as he prepares to call Lazarus out of the grave. Now, I've shared this with some of you before, but I remember that the first time that I really began to understand this. It was my uh, second uh, year of seminary. I was in a a biblical interpretation class. Uh, We weren't looking at John 11. In fact, we weren't looking at John at all. Uh, We were in Galatians uh, for the term, and uh, it was with a, a man named Dr. Rick Watts. And I remember uh, Rick was teaching that day, and the classroom set up very much like this, a lot smaller, only a a little more than a dozen of us in there. But he would be at the front of the lectern, facing out, our chairs here. And then the doors that we would come in would be just as you are at the back of the the classroom. And there were glass doors as well. And I remember there was a a knock at the door. And we saw Rick, you know, wave in the person who had knocked. And we all turned around and recognized our friend, Sherris. And what we first noticed is that Sherris looked devastated. And she came in and she said, I, I have some news to share. In fact, it's, it's a prayer request, and I'm going around from classroom to classroom to ask for prayer for this. And it was about another one of our friends, Matt Swanson. Uh, Matt was a, a seminary friend. We'd been in class, not this particular class, together. Uh, we were of similar age. Uh, he was married. He had a, a young family. And Sherris went on to tell us that Matt had just been diagnosed that morning with a very aggressive form of cancer, and that he did not have much time to live. And the moment that I will most remember, as we are all facing the back of the room, was all of a sudden we heard wham! We were startled. We turned to the front, Rick behind his lectern, having pounded it with his fists. His face red with anger and at the same time tears of sorrow flowing down his cheeks. And he looked out and he said, this is an assault on God's good creation and death will not have the last word. Rick was raging with anger at death, but he was doing something else. With Jesus, Rick was looking beyond what the eye could see. He was looking through the lens of true biblical hope because as the writer of Hebrews puts it, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And Rick knew that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the resurrection and the life both today as well as on the last day. And so what what does all this have to do with us here and now? Well, on the one hand, it roots us deeper in this truth that Martha spoke earlier. I know that my brother will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Because Jesus is coming back to renew all things. To restore a broken world. To bring about a complete and total restoration, healing through resurrection for those who trust in him. Jesus is bringing a future grace beyond what we could ever imagine. For in Christ, we will one day be fully restored beyond our wildest dreams. It's the profound reality that one day, life in Jesus will fully and finally silence the death of sin forever. It's future grace. But don't miss the present grace. Because on the other hand, there is a resurrection reality today. As Dr. James Boyce puts it, Wherever Jesus is, there is life. Wherever Jesus is, there is life. He is present spiritually today, so there is spiritual resurrection today. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have experienced this resurrection you were dead in trespasses and sins but you had been brought to life by Jesus well also also if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ you can continually experience his resurrection today because wherever Jesus is there is life now yes you still very much face sin and brokenness and death. But Jesus can continually revive your soul, be the lifter of your head and your heart in the face of life's very real pain and suffering and sorrow. Friend, if if you have put your trust in Jesus, then as Paul says so profoundly in Romans 8, the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead Dwells in you. The spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Dwells in you today. And therefore. Therefore nothing. Nothing in your life is beyond hope. And yet. So often. We start where Mary and Martha started. Don't we? Lord, if only, if only then, if if, if only you'd been here, then fill in the blank. And we all, I mean, we all ask that question. We're all questioning in our hearts. where, Where is your heart struggling? Where is your heart questioning today? You know, as I think back, Matt Swanson was not brought back to life at least not physically here. But I remember very well his wife, Renee, at the time, a 29-year-old widow uh, with young boys. Renee experienced resurrection reality spiritually, deep in her soul, in her heart, in a way that transcends all understanding. Because not only was Matt with Jesus... But also Jesus was with her. And wherever Jesus is, there is life. Jesus' Zoe life revived, enlivened her heart with true biblical hope. A heart that still mourns a loss, very much so, yes. But also a heart that anticipates all things new and lives today in the present grace of Of Jesus. Where is your heart questioning today? Because again, we all struggle. Maybe you don't feel it as much today. Maybe it was more yesterday. And if not, it's probably around the corner. But where are you down on yourself? Where are you experiencing loss, frustration, fear? Discouragement, anger, hopelessness. You know, for some, it's in your marriage. For others, it's in the loss of a spouse. Through death, through divorce. For some, it's in your singleness, having never been married and desirous to be so. For some, it's a situation with your parents or with your children. Maybe a struggle with infertility or failing health. Maybe it's something with your friends or your colleagues. Job uncertainty, loss of job, loss of financial security. How is Jesus calling you out of the grave today? Jesus is calling you to trust him. He is calling you out of the grave. He is calling you to life in him. Because He is the resurrection and the life. And so in the midst of your very real struggles and pain, hear the call of Jesus. Hear the voice of our Savior calling you out, calling you to Himself and know real hope and real life as you trust in Him. Amen? Amen.